0: Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is such an exciting episode. I am super pumped. Uh get to discuss a really a favorite topic of mine with a delightful person that I just met and uh, that you guys will be hearing a lot more of. So that's that's an exciting thing too. My guest today is Jenny Helms, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in trauma and eating disorders. She's the founder of Soma Therapy in Wichita, Kansas. Um, the conversation we have in this episode, I hope you guys enjoy around my favorite topic, uh, which I'll discuss in a second. But um, her content online is super helpful to many people across the across the world. So I hope you guys find this just as interesting as I did. And today we're discussing adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. If you've heard of this, awesome. If not, I think you're in for a real treat. This entire study really opened my eyes to trauma and its effects later on, including mental health and physical health issues. Uh, I personally think it's partially responsible for my sarcoidosis, my autoimmune disease. So. Really interesting stuff. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Jenny Helms. Yeah, I mean, without giving too much away, we'll jump right into it. Um, sure. But first of all, thank you. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for being thank here. You for... Yeah. Doing this, it's always a comfortable environment for me when I can talk about stuff that I'm excited about and feel like I have a good amount of knowledge on, but if I get called out on that knowledge by someone who like on a professional level probably knows more than me, um, <laughs> I feel totally comfortable in that and not defensive. So that's, this is a good environment for me. Oh, uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs>
1: well, and, and I think that, I mean, on the professional side too, like having the humility to have conversation, right. And to know that like even professionals, I mean, don't have all the answers yeah. and, um, we're still learning and growing as well. So that's
0: my, that's one of my favorite things about psychology as a field in general is it's, it's still so new in the overall, Mm -hmm. the stuff that we've done in, in the field as a, as a whole, as a society, not like we, like me and my buddies. Um, but (laughs) in the last like 30 years is unbelievable. Uh, and one of those things is what we're going to be talking about today, uh, which is the adverse childhood experiences. Um, but this was a study done by CDC and Kaiser back in the 90s, and that was like the first step in starting to tie trauma from childhood into um, the health risks that, can, that it can affect later on. I mean, outside of just mental health, the physical health risks, which I'm super excited about talking about because that was a huge light bulb moment for me last year. Um, mm-hmm. And so for those that don't know, uh, the Adverse child ex- Childhood Experiences, the ACEs, or they're 10 questions and essentially yes or no questions and however many yeses you get <laughs> are as your ace score and based on that your likelihood to develop uh, a lot of different things is significantly higher uh, and I have yes. some statistics with that that are just mind-boggling um, but and, and I don't want to force you into talking about anything that you're uncomfortable with but I wanted to share my experience with discovering this and the kind of light bulb moment I had because it was pretty remarkable for me. And the reason why I've shared this with so many people that I've had on the podcast is, uh, I heard this podcast last year with Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who is the first surgeon general of California and started a project called ACEs Aware, uh, where doctors are actually getting reimbursed for testing for childhood trauma in children. Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, it's being become like part of the annual physical, like, you know, how's your blood sugar? How's your, how are your your knee reflexes? Like what kind of trauma do you have? Um, and now they're doing that statewide in California. It's a, it's like a mandate now. So I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, trauma. I can obviously relate to that. And then the stat gets thrown out that if you answer yes to two or more, you are, uh, what is it? Yeah. Twice as likely to develop an autoimmune disorder. And I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder in 2018. And while this doesn't say like, this is a direct cause, I was able to tie in my childhood trauma into being a developing cause for getting that later and sometimes just getting that why can be so comforting and it was such a light bulb moment for me and the further i dug in to the aces the more i discovered uh the the risks involved and how we can prevent them and we can prevent generational trauma and uh the intricacies of them which I'm super excited to discuss with you when you talk Mm -hmm. eventually I'm going to stop talking I promise but (laughs) (laughs) um, I I was very excited about it and so I wanted to get into it and kind of talk about some of the statistics and get your thoughts on the overall uh, aces and and some of the talking points that we kind of discussed a little bit uh, via email and everything so Mm Uh, I mean, should we dive into the questions first?
1: Yeah, let's lay the foundation and kind of share where this is. Yeah, the questions and where it's coming from. And then we can kind of we can talk about um, what this looks like in clinical practice, some of the practicalities, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) So the questions I'm going to take out the beginning of each question, just because the beginning is the same for each question, which is before your 18th birthday. Did a parent or other adult in your household often or very often, and question one is swear at you, insult you, put you down, humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt. Uh, Question two, push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured. Question three, attempt or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you. Question four, um... Do you ever feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Question five, you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, or had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you, or take you to the doctor if you needed it. Um, Question six, did you go through a divorce uh, or abandonment for another reason? Um, question seven was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her or sometimes, or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist or hit with something hard or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or knife. Uh, question eight, did you live with anybody who had substance abuse problems such as an alcoholic or someone who used street drugs? Question nine was any member of your family, uh, or household depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide and question 10 did a household member go to prison um so that's the 10 questions mm-hmm. so i mean my my personal score is six with an asterisk and i think we'll get to the asterisk um the the thing that you brought up and that i kind of gauge my score on too is i have an older brother who I hold responsible for a few things like the emotional abuse, uh, verbal abuse. And that's not necessarily called out. It does say parent or other adult, but you know, like he wasn't 18 at that point, but he was still, you know, three and a half years older Um, and not having a father in the house. He was kind of like that figure. So that's why I'm like, yes, I'm answering a yes for that. Um,
1: Yes. Yeah. And I want to know, they definitely hone in on caregivers, but we've seen some of the, modified versions and and some suggestions that we really should be including not only like siblings but also peers at school or if you got bullied like that is a significant event as well Um, so it's not just what happens from our caregivers and also with the sexual abuse it kind of um, expanding I think they might say that but like expanding that too if you've had sexual abuse from even a peer or you know somebody else outside of your family that that's still going to have a traumatic impact on you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's important to point out too. And some of the, I'm going to get some statistics out of the way.
1: <laughs> so yeah, for
0: sure. Uh, So 67% of the population, two thirds of the population uh, have at least one ACE, which I mean, given the divorce rate, that's not hugely surprising. Two or more, like I said, you have double your chances of autoimmune disease. And then if you have four or more, which 25%, that was, that was alarming to me. Four or more, a quarter of the population have four or more Um, ACEs. And that's you're twice as likely to develop heart disease and cancer and three and a half times more likely to develop COPD. And some of these that are like the largest cause for death in in the country, right? Heart disease. Um, And this is pointed out by a lot of doctors too, where it's, if this were anything else, like, oh, it turns out, you know, like, johnson and johnson's lettuce is, is giving people heart disease at this rate they would pull that off the shelf there there'd be a lawsuit there'd be all this stuff mm-hmm. but uh there's so little support out there for for the aces for childhood trauma and, and the after effects and the stuff that we can get done in the beginning i mean you're a marriage and family therapist right so mm-hmm. you yeah. i don't know what you like percentage of your practices is, is dealing with children directly but i imagine that's that's a huge piece right there where you can, I mean, you can completely alter the future of that child by discussing this stuff early on.
1: There's so many different things. And I think I want to talk about those resiliency factors. And one of the things that Dr. Nadine Burke talks about is how it's tough because usually when we start talking about this, people feel a little overwhelmed. Um, They feel a little overwhelmed by the problem and how prevalent it is and what we can do as a society to help this, but we actually do have some, she's talked about different ways we can heal this, but I also have my own like clinical perspective that absolutely getting into therapy, um, as a kiddo, or even later on, like as an adult healing that trauma is not only possible, but, but recommended, especially I would, you know, it's interesting that at that four, like that four more a score that things just jump so tremendously. So like, I would highly recommend that if you have an A score of four or more, and honestly anybody could, because sometimes there's different traumas that are missed in this. This isn't like a perfect measurement. Um, but if you have a four or more, it's worth exploring doing different things to heal trauma. Um, if you haven't already actively done something, because most of the people I work with, they live their lives and they have no idea how trauma is impacting them, Mm -hmm. how it's holding them back in their careers, how it's impacting their health, how it impacts the way that they love, how it impacts the way they live, you know? And so I know it might sound silly to be like, well, you know, you might not be in crisis, but you don't have to be in crisis to go to therapy and heal and work on stuff.
0: Yeah. 110%. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's uh, actually like another talking point I wanted to bring up too, um, is a lot of people believe that, you know, if you... First of all, if you come from difficult circumstances, uh, maybe like grew up in a bad neighborhood, your parents did drugs or or were alcoholics that like you're already obviously you're exposed to that and you are more susceptible to like doing those things yourself. But I think there's a common belief, uh, especially again, with like people like my brother. And we've kind of discussed this, me and him, is uh, you there's a belief that if you come out of it and you rise above it, that you're like, I'm good then um I'm healed. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that's like sure. without the therapy, without addressing it, but you're like, mm-hmm. "No, I you know, I I'm not an alcoholic. I I make a good amount of money. I have a good house, like so I'm I'm good." But that you're still all the underlying stuff is still there um and like from a biological level the the stress hormones that are inconsistent in your body because of the trauma you have are still going to cause the the heart disease. Are still going to cause cancer and that stuff that you not dealing with so you can't really rise above trauma without kind of confronting it directly
1: well and it's it's interesting the different ways that it's healed there are definitely different avenues so if you are able so this is like a big asterisk if you are able to have healing relationships and somehow be attracted to them because typically if people have traumas and cortisol and and they struggle in different areas they will end up not gravitating towards careers and people and there's other subtle ways that like they kind of recultivate the trauma even if it's not specifically an alcoholic maybe they partner with somebody who still had like some of the traits of their alcoholic parents like something something along those lines where it's like if if you're fortunate enough and I don't think this happens often to somehow be in environments that are healing you can heal However, for most people, they don't, because of their past traumas, they don't end up choosing healthy relationships or environments that heal them. And the other thing, like you were talking about, I want to make sure we we definitely um, give this value is that the body keeps the score. And this is not like, this is not my idea. This is from (laughs) Vessel van der Kolk. I was going to say there's a book called that. Yeah. The body (laughs) keeps the score. He has some fascinating, Research and clinical experience working with trauma and seeing how, you know, and even in my own work, it's really interesting. We could do a lot of work up here and do like CBT and help people with their thoughts and their beliefs. But even when they get things going here, which is a good start, um, there are times where the body is still responding in certain ways and still says you're not okay, even if your thoughts are like, I'm okay like I'm safe, I'm okay, nothing's wrong, the nervous system doesn't necessarily get the message. And that's, I think, what people don't understand is just because you've gotten out of your environment doesn't mean that your nervous system has healed or is all of a sudden different. And that's what people don't end up healing over time. And it can manifest in physical illness. It can manifest in having mental illness. It can manifest in, you know, going in and out of like, you know, careers or relationships, like there are different ways that it manifests, but ultimately that cortisol pathway that we develop as kiddos to survive our environment doesn't magically get healed just because we're out of that environment. Yeah. Like I wish it did. Like that would be super awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I moved to a nicer neighborhood and turns out I'm fine now.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: That'd be great. I've started, I I dive too deep into this stuff sometimes and will start applying unrealistic things. Like for instance, uh, during this entire quarantine, uh, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, I've like identified a couple other things that I like, wasn't really dealing with and thought were fine. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like a external validation and like my unhealthy (laughs) need for that. Um, Welcome to humanity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I was like my my sarcoidosis. uh, I've seen improvements on it over the last like few months. And usually I only see improvements when I'm like actively on steroids. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if like, I'm starting to correlate like I'm dealing with stuff. So I'm physically getting better, which could very, very well not be true at all. And it's just a coincidence. But in my head, yeah. I like to think of <laughs> it as, like, that's what's happening.
1: Physiologically, I mean, if we're just talking about the biochemicals, like, having stress and overwhelm does impact our body yeah. physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. so anything that flares up in you, that, like, just for because we're all unique in what will specifically flare up. But for you, it's likely that your stuff flares up when your cortisol's you know, excessively high, which probably is also when you're feeling stress or overwhelm or cognitively just having a, not feeling attached or like you belong or like you're good enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, in some way or another. Right. And that's like, I mean, I said, welcome to humanity because (laughs) I think all of us, like throughout our lives, um, you know, we're, we're kind of asking ourselves the question like, am I good enough? Do I belong? Like, you know, that sort of thing. Like, I feel like that's, that's a human thing that we work through
0: I know I've I've hogged the conversation as far as like biological stuff but I mean from a therapeutic level if people are listening and they are answering yes um what I mean where do you where do you start (laughs)
1: where do you start (laughs) well first things first I mean I know this sounds simple but like acknowledging it and really really accepting that this might be something that's impacting you yeah Because the first step is knowing what you don't know. And oftentimes it's funny because you alluded to this earlier, but we have this thing in our brain where we almost, we just want to get to our next goal. And so we'll kind of create these stories and these narratives to just like get through the day and have a really hard time sometimes acknowledging these glaring truths in our lives or even subtle truths in our lives. Um, And we tell ourselves what um, has been coined honest lies where, again, it's, it's not that we're trying to be deceitful, it's just our brain doesn't even let us see certain truths because it's almost like we're not ready for them. Right. We're not ready to to deal or process that that thing in our lives or that part about us. And so first things first is just acknowledgement and and opening up space that there might be some question marks. There might be some things that we're not fully seeing about ourselves or our lives right now that are impacted by those ACE scores. Yeah. and. The willingness to, you know, you could explore that with an emotionally safe person, or go. I mean, I obviously I'm going to biasly think therapy is a great option. Not bias. I'm on your
0: side. <laughs> yeah, but
1: that's because like that's been my experience of healing. I mean, it's been one of the big facets of it. There are other parts to it as well, but that's a big facet for myself and a lot of people that I work with. Like that's that's their path to healing. Yeah, and. So obviously, you know, working with a trauma informed therapist would be incredibly helpful, you know, on the physical level too. we also know there's something weird about like actively getting out and moving every day like it doesn't have to be a specific type of movement but cardio of some sort, whether it's like dancing or walking or running or whatever, like that's also weirdly linked to like helping us regulate our nervous systems. Yeah, Um, I think it's probably doing something with the cortisol levels. Again, that's not my area of expertise, (laughs) but, you know, those sorts of things. And there's a big piece. So I want to talk about the resiliency factors. because I think that will be helpful. And I think so for me, I'll share that I had a really high A score as well. And I think I have a seven with an asterisk as well. I think one of the questions, it's like asterisk. But, yeah. um, but I think one of the really cool things that I also had as a kid that I think helped in certain ways, um, not that I didn't go through my own experience of having to work through things because I definitely did. Yeah. But I had a lot of buffers. And so some of the resiliency factors, one of them I thought was interesting. It was like liking school or feeling connected to school in some way. So like having a different environment that you feel connected to. Mm -hmm. And I think this could also look like, you know, being involved in sports or a hobby that like you really enjoy or have like a coach who um, you connect to meaningfully that provides that buffer to maybe not having caregivers that are as connected. Something
0: you can like Um, sink into that's a positive influence, like not necessarily get into sort of denial of what's happening elsewhere, but like, you don't have to focus on what's happening elsewhere because you have this positive environment you can immerse yourself in temporarily?
1: Yes. Okay. And I'll speak even for my own experience. Like there were, there were times that I really felt disconnected to some of the kids in my school and I didn't feel very like connected socially, but I had some really amazing teachers that like, luckily would literally pull me to the side after class and ask me things like, how are you doing? Like, you know, what's going on in your lives? And like, that subtle, them subtly taking an interest in my life and checking in on me
0: yeah.
1: meant so much to me when I was feeling disconnected in other ways. Absolutely. And it, it made me enjoy school so much more because it was like, otherwise, I was like, yeah, I just feel like I don't belong and I'm a total weirdo. Yeah. Right? But then when your teacher's like, hey, what's up? What's new? You're like, okay, there's somebody here yeah. that I feel connected to. And um, just the fact that they notice you, right? That you feel seen. Is what? so important. It may feel subtle for a teacher to take interest in their kiddos, or like a kid at school that you might have an inkling is struggling in some way. But like that means so much. Yeah. Um, and especially the kids when they're when they're young and they're misbe. So I like. I just want to kind of introduce a concept as well. So I see trauma play out in two different ways. You could either have issues of under control, or issues of over control. Or a mixture of both, right? So it's like, you and I I kind of have a little bit of a mixture of both, but I definitely trend towards having issues of over control. Yeah. And so when kiddos have behavioral issues at school because of trauma or they're acting out in a certain way because they can't regulate their nervous system, they tend to be kind of called out as like these bad kids and labeled in a certain way. And it's all like suspension and isolation as the means to like figuring that out. Yeah. However, we know that that's actually worse for them. And so even like, you know, even if the kid is having a rough day and they're not may- maybe listening very well and they're really dysregulated, like for someone to take an interest in them and still say, hey, so-and-so, like, you know, and ask them questions. And even when they're giving them the middle finger saying, <laughs> nope, I'm still a steady adult that cares about you, yeah. right? And I felt like I was so lucky that teachers noticed, but they also noticed because I was like, I was a kid that was in and out of school because I kept being hospitalized for my eating disorder. So there's layers of that. It was a little <laughs> obvious because I was literally gone. Yeah. Um, but the teachers still took this like vested interest in forming a relationship with me. And I think sometimes the kiddos who have issues of over control, so they're like perfectionistic and um, might be just more inward, but they're very like perfectionistic and they have other issues they're struggling with as, as far as like maybe some OCD behaviors, eating disorders, that sort of thing. Um, they tend to get overlooked Yeah. because in school they perform really well. And so people don't necessarily look at them and think, oh, trauma, or oh, this kid needs connection. Yeah. They're like, they're doing great. They're acing the test. They're killing it. Um, in fact, not to disclose too much, but I have a kiddo. I'm, it's a teenager. It's a teenage girl that I'm working with right now brilliant top of her class killing it in so many ways and destroying herself with an eating disorder and and terrorizing herself with her negative self-talk and anxiety and people would have no idea yeah no idea because even socially she's like in these I'm not going to say to you specifically but she's head of certain clubs and she's she's killing it she's yeah. killing it and internally struggling so deeply um, so I think it's on both ends, whether it's like the kids that are flunking, right? Yeah. Um, and it's the kids that are also, and sometimes the kids that are flunking are still, so this is also what I've seen that's interesting. They could still be brilliant and even have issues of over control because over control isn't necessarily about always acing stuff, even though some people do follow the societal rule stuff.
0: Yeah. But it's
1: basically saying if something makes sense to me or if it's a rule that I agree with, I will follow it to the nth degree. Yeah. But if it like for like, I don't know if this was your experience, but like for people. So it's funny how brilliant people can be in school, but they're like, I don't see school as useful. I don't see school as a good measurement of intelligence. And even if they're brilliant and have issues of over control, they will still flunk school because it doesn't align with how they think things are worthy of like putting effort into. Yeah. So it has to be. It has to be in terms of what they see
0: things as. I mean, I think that's exactly true. And that definitely applies to me because like when I did go to college, it was like three, eight or higher, everything. Um, And it wasn't, it wasn't even a struggle for any, like when I took business law, I was like, okay, this is a bit much. But (laughs) other than that, it was, it really wasn't like, yeah, don't study tort law. Um, (laughs) It was, it was just, uh, it was just, it seemed easy. Like I didn't, it was difficult for me. I mean, at the time, Thankfully, I like to think this has changed, but it was difficult for me to like empathize with the people that couldn't get it. I was like, what what don't you get? (laughs) Like, just look at it, Um, which obviously now I (laughs) I know that's really closed off way of thinking. Um, But that was that's completely true. And I like I said, jumping back, like my value in school was was the social aspect. It was the reason that I like originally skipped school in sixth grade it ended up in a psychiatric (laughs) hospital for like two months and then it was the reason that I like loved going to school later on in high school because I would get to see people. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I I definitely agree there. And it's funny you talk about the people that are like doing really well and acing stuff because like the therapeutic brain in me immediately thinks like are you burying yourself in school stuff to avoid something else at home? Like are you in every single, extracurricular activity because going home at the end of the day sucks for you. Like, is what, what are you, what are you avoiding that you're spending so much time and energy at school? Um, which obviously is not always true, but that's objectively, that's immediately where my head goes, but
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Or it's their way of managing their high levels of cortisol. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. It develops in multiple ways for sure. And I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but the fascinating part is I just tend to see these behaviors of like under control or over control, um, under control being more impulsive behavior or like, you know, just your traditional breaking the rules, be more violent, being quick to anger and then over control being like very like, constricted actually with when people struggle with issues of over control even their emotional affect is constricted so when they're talking about something and they're excited they're like yeah i won the lottery and that was really that was great um that was really good (laughs) um same thing for really negative things they'll be like oh yeah like so and so passed away yeah i'm really sad and it's like you you're like wait what where's your like where's the emotion yeah inability notice it there yeah (laughs) That's yeah crazy. yeah and over controls like rah, like it's like it's more but it's also like there's there's beauty to both but anyway not to get too far into the weeds of that but that's that's kind of the behaviors that we see on the surface yeah um that typically stem from trauma
0: um I wanted to jump back real quick just as far as the ace scores go and we we kind of touched on this in passing but and you again you will know the this better than me so I might be talking out of my ass but uh is it isn't it true that like you could not really know your full a score because maybe like some of the more severe stuff might be repressed and it's something you have like you're not ready to necessarily like admit to yourself yet.
1: um yes and even like so what's interesting is for some people um when we talk about like the body and cortisol levels the highest one is um so the If you actually, if your cortisol level isn't too crazy high and you feel somewhat in control of a situation, you'll go into fight mode. Yeah. And if it's a little bit higher, you typically go into flight mode where you'll just like leave the situation. It's more avoidant. But if it's really extreme and you feel like you can't help, help, like handle it and your brain doesn't think you can handle it, you'll go into freeze mode. And we actually see this in like nature as well.
0: Yeah.
1: And freeze mode, the interesting part about that is sometimes when those, things happen when we're in freeze mode, if we literally disassociate, our brain encodes those memories differently and we won't necessarily remember them or we won't remember them or bits and pieces of different parts of our lives. And that, that does genuinely happen for some people where even going into therapy is kind of a, a scary process in some ways, because sometimes things start to come up and they're like, Holy shit. Like that was like I've not like that has not crossed my brain or even things that they remembered one way, they all of a sudden connect the dots and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that was sexual abuse." And we see that very commonly especially in childhood sexual abuse where later on it's like when it's happening, it's encoded one way because you have a kid brain and you don't know how to make sense of it. Yeah. And then later on as a teenager and sometimes even in like late twenties, late thirties for people, um, doing the work, you know, they don't connect the dots until then.
0: Yeah. And it's, again, it's a
1: hard thing (laughs) thing for a brain to, (laughs) yeah. yeah. It's, isn't it crazy? Like there, it's yeah, there were, there were things as well. that happened to to me that I didn't quite connect the dots until I was older.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So it's fascinating
0: when I, uh, (laughs) So I, I started therapy as an adult. I mean, in and out of therapy as a kid, because I'm awesome. Uh, but uh, as an adult, I started therapy six years ago. And if you would ask asked me my A score six years ago, I probably would have gotten a four. And now it's a six, because mm. there's, yes. there's been two things that I've uh, uncovered. And this happens regularly in therapy for me. But on the note of ACEs, like, yeah, there was two big things that like as I discuss them again she was like Justin that's A, B, or C like and I was able to be like oh shit like I should probably look into that more um so yeah I think just along the lines of you kind of how your brain encodes things um especially like sex abuse there's I feel like there's so much shame involved there Mm -hmm. that Mm uh discussing it obviously is a big step in itself but like Sometimes, yeah, identifying it, especially if it is not, like, necessarily a parent or someone that you, like, you know, see a Lifetime movie about, but it is a, a uh, I don't know, a peer or something, sitting there, not a sibling, but you know what I mean. Um, somebody that, like, stereotypically, you might not think of it that way. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, your brain does crazy stuff and compartmentalizes stuff, but the way that I, I just think it's crazy, the way that you can tie things all together and relate things and
1: no it's so true i mean it sounds like your brain got what we would call like more integration and dan siegel so he's the one i would say if you're interested in this concept learning more he talks about integration as like being mental health right like or the ideal mental health for your brain is an integrated brain and what trauma does is it's almost like we like you said i mean this is very simplistically putting it but it will encode memories differently and even like if things come up and I've noticed this in myself too. So like that whole self-awareness thing, huge. Cause you can at least notice stuff and be like, all right, I got to work on that. Like, this is, <laughs> this is something to uh, put a pin in, but um, it's almost like the things that are messy in our brain can't quite make sense of, or it feels icky. So like I talk about, like, sometimes for people, it's that like, like disgust response to like, we, like, even for myself, like I will be like, and switch the subject. Like it just, It's we can only be in that space for so long. And even doing trauma work, you have to oscillate in and out of working on the issue and then kind of coming back out because we can't just like our brains cannot like just full head on dove delve into that stuff um, because it's a little bit too messy and complex. And again, if it weren't, then this would be simpler and we could heal this on our own. So. yes 100% (laughs) what you're saying I just want to validate that yeah yeah
0: I've gotten to a point that I I love and I feel like is way healthier than ever before where like when triggering stuff happens I'm able to like pause and be like why am I triggered by this (laughs) and I can't yes I can't always answer it most of the times I can't at all but I at least am able to take that pause and be like this is triggering me like take a note and then go back to this later yes Um,
1: (laughs) that's the stuff where it's like if we're able to actually take a pause and like write it down because again I think we're so good at like okay I just need to do the next thing today that we'll just totally forget that we had that real moment of like panic being triggered whatever feelings that brought up I think the only times that I've seen people not like forget about them are usually when they're relational. So usually if like they have a big fight with their partner and they're getting triggered in that, like those are things they'll remember, but then they forget like all the other subtle things. I mean, they can forget stuff with their partner too. People are (laughs) real good about that as well. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I think people can identify like for me, it's really fascinating, especially understanding like relational dynamics and, I'm sure my partner just loves being with me because I I will literally, I'll be in the middle of something and I'll be like, I know that I'm like, I'm triggered right now. And right now, here's the story I'm telling myself. And I was like, and I just need some time because I can't right now. Like, cause I I know that I'm triggered. Like I'll be aware of it. And I'll even say like certain things and even try to, you know, give him cues. So he knows like, I need time and space to process this because this is triggering something. Or at least the extremeness of it. Because usually it's like, well, there's probably something frustrating or annoying about this experience. But if I'm feeling rage or <laughs> if I'm feeling, like, super anxious, that's, diff- that's usually a moment of being triggered. That's yeah. usually when, like, other stuff is coming up. Yeah. Um, and so for me, you know, even my own childhood trauma stuff, like, sometimes my body will respond in a certain way when I'm having a fight with my partner. And I know it has nothing to do with the fight we're having. And it has nothing to do with my partner. Yeah. And everything to do with like, what is this reminding me of? Yeah. Like on a like. Happen
0: into that well. <laughs>
1: subconscious level, right? Yeah. Like I can't, it's not that I'm thinking of an event. It's not like I'm like, well, when I was four and I had ice cream. No, yeah. it's like, it's just like I know, I'm like, oh, my body is like, this is just not safe for some reason. Yeah. Even though my mind's like, we're fine. We're just having a conversation about the dishwasher or like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And I share that cause I want to be like, you know, I don't think people connect those dots all the time that like those body responses matter. They do matter. Um, and yeah, anyway, we all have our yeah. different themes and our stuff that comes up,
0: but. No, I, um, it's, it's, funny yeah. that you mention just like from a therapeutic mind in a relationship, uh, <laughs> like my, I've joked with my therapist before because her and her husband are both therapists and I was oh, like boy. what is that like <laughs> at home and because I mean I'm I'm not there yet I hope to be you know in a few years but like I'll I'll identify stuff um, you know me and my wife we identified like we have some codependent stuff or had mm-hmm. I mean stuff we've worked on but in the past like she she was like no we're not that's like complete denial about it and so occasionally I do not recommend this people do not do this but occasionally like <laughs> in the moment I'd be like see this is this is an example of us being coded by oh, <laughs> that will never moment. yeah that will never go well um uh, don't do it when you're flooded yeah don't do
1: it when you're when you're actually in the moment but yeah yeah. But it, it's maybe it's maybe your process, right? Like maybe you're like, okay, I'm, I'm recognizing it. I'm calling it out <laughs> now. And it's maybe just learning how you can do that in a way that's like maybe better timing, you oh, know? Yeah. So there's two parts um, of that.
0: There's the healthy part where I'm recognizing it. And then there's the unhealthy part where i am be like, I'm going to win this argument. <laughs> exactly.
1: Or, well, and so my partner is an attorney, okay. so you can imagine how arguments go in our relationship. Um, No, but it's fun. He's actually he's he's fun to you know as as minds like my mind appreciates his mind and um, it's just when we get into certain things like I'll be like and you're doing this and I was like and I'm doing this too and I just need a moment because we're both being really crappy right now and it's like (laughs) walk away. I object. Like I'll be like and I'm doing this thing too like. Going to take a little bit of ownership because his big thing is like, um, and everyone has different triggers, but yeah. um, ownership and accountability, yeah. right? And I think that's for a lot of people. And so sometimes I'm like, we both suck right now. And I like, <laughs> you know, walk away. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, yeah my biggest struggle with, with forgiveness is, is whether or not people take accountability. Like it's mm-hmm. difficult for me sometimes to move past it and get to the forgiveness stage without them owning like what they did yes pain in the ass
1: (laughs) yes no i i do struggle with that as well or like you know it's funny how i've had to let certain things go over time too because i realized i was making certain associations because it meant something to me but it doesn't mean that to the other person like they could still give a sincere apology even if it's not the way that i would give an apology yeah But I was going to talk more about some of the other resiliency. Yes, please. If you want me to kind of segue back into that.
0: Yes, segue away.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay. So let's talk again about some of the resiliency factors. Um, So having a caregiver. So some of these things said often and I think it's interesting because we could have a really a caregiver who's really struggling when we're little Mm -hmm. and they can heal and get better. So say you had a parent that was an alcoholic but they actually went to rehab they actually did therapy they and probably a a couple other things to get better so like having our parents heal and become resilient in the ways that we need them to be as kiddos is very can be very buffering and healing to us as well Um, so even if they struggle with alcoholism or addiction for you know the first eight years of your life or ten years if they do in fact heal that is a buffer um We kind of talked about this with the school thing, but identifying with some sort of like culture or purpose, and that could be through different means. So it could be through hobbies. It could be through your own like culture itself, or it could be through things like religion or faith. Um, So sometimes if people have like if they identify and they cultivate purpose through church, through culture, through hobbies, interest, um, that's a buffer as well to some of these A scores. Having some competencies, which again, like your neurobiology is kind of working against this. So I don't quite know what this means. Maybe it means that a kiddo is able to like practice mindfulness and self-regulation techniques because they talk about self-regulation and problem solving skills and all of that. But if you don't have different skills to actually, you know, get your nervous system in a place where it can problem solve, Um, and get those levels of cortisol down, then, you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't think you're going to have it naturally is what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, I think you'd have to be a kid that like somehow stumbles upon like mindfulness training or breathing skills or just different things that actually tap into helping you release that cortisol and self-regulate your nervous system. Um,
0: Which I feel like on, on a positive note, that's you're seeing that and with a lot more prevalence today than you were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, it's just cause I'm getting older. So I'm learning about these things. But then, um, I mean, there's an age gap between you and me and there's, there's, uh, even younger generations, you know, listening to podcasts and stuff, constantly people are talking about meditation and, and mindfulness and like even something as simple as like breathing techniques and, uh, the overall, um, recognition of things like anxiety i think are happening on a global level way more at a younger age than they were i mean when i was a kid for sure yes
1: yeah and yoga is more mainstream and cool and mindfulness is more mainstream and cool
0: yeah i can't even imagine the amount of yoga studios that i see now like in the 90s i've would been like what shouldn't there be a blockbuster there what's going on here um, right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and I
1: like, I remember think my first impressions of yoga were just like, oh, this is super woo woo. And it's yeah. like, you know, you have this like idea in your mind of the type of person that does yoga. And now yeah. it's like, no, yoga's for everybody. And this is actually useful for all of us. Yeah. Um, If we're able to tap into some sort of mindfulness, breathing or yoga, it doesn't have to be yoga, but whatever yeah. resonates for you. Um yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I, this this was not something that my school ever talked about or people in my life talked about um as I grew up at all. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Same. I think you're right. It is changing. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um another one is like you said, social connections. So if you have really good friendships at school or even in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. that has a buffering effect. I mean, that kind of makes a lot of sense um you know for me i had like a church community growing up and i had like i think the social part of it was super helpful for me and um my siblings too like there were i had three older siblings and i felt like we were all very connected um initially we were connected by kind of having a lot of fighting and like you know it was more tension but over time we really connected and became friends so you're the
0: youngest of four
1: I'm the youngest of four. Yeah, that's right. We'll
0: Mm -hmm. save that for another episode. Um. Oh, okay. (laughs) So so curious. and and four girls, too. Oh, man.
1: (laughs) All all the women. Um, Also, having a higher SES, which I don't think is super surprising, but I think that buffers obviously that feeling of like you're not worried about higher socioeconomic status. So like, it's like, wait, sorry. (laughs) You don't know Um, (laughs) SDS, Therapist jargon over here. Um, Yeah. So if you, if you always know where your food's coming from and even have choices and don't have to worry about like, can I go on the field trip? Will I get a bike for Christmas? That sort of thing. Like there's some built in security with that. Um, So I think that's not super surprising to me either. Not that that's like, going to buffer out all the things because it really doesn't um but it does help in certain areas having um oh i think we already talked about this but they said more of a community or a sense of social community so people i think you brought up a good example it's like if you grew up in a community where it was like kind of scary and there was like a lot of violence in the community itself yeah like that's going to be different context for you than if you grow up in a community where even if you have lower ses like there isn't crime, you're not, you can unlock your door, like, you know, the funny, so I grew up in Atlanta, and my boyfriend grew up in Ness City, Kansas, which has, like, a population of, like, a thousand or so, (laughs) Um, just to give you reference, and he would talk about how, like, he'd just leave his door, like, the door is unlocked, and, like, it just was such a different world because of that community. Whereas like where I grew up, it was like, if I, so, and they would like speed and they would do this thing. I didn't even know existed. Cause I, I actually didn't drink as a high schooler. Surprisingly, I say that surprisingly. And I think it was cause I was worried about calories. Yeah. So it wasn't for good reason. It was because I was still that's funny struggling with stuff, but
0: I didn't drink till talks, 17. I was
1: that's actually pretty
0: good. Alcoholic that's father, good. I was like, nope, I know I will die if I do this. I was wrong. No, that's but... true.
1: That's true. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about that. Well, I, I dove in head should...
0: first once I started. I was like, this is fantastic. You're <laughs> like, I get it now. I yeah. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> like, oh, dang it. Sorry. Um,
1: no, no. And I, yeah, it's funny. I never even thought about that because I also, my bio dad struggled slash struggles with alcoholism i'm not connected to him yeah so i don't know um but as a kid like i remember seeing a lot of that and tying alcohol to bad stuff yeah so i wonder if i was all because i didn't try it really until i was like 1920
0: it was i Um, mean it was drilled into my head that like you're at greater risk your dad's an alcoholic you know and i was like so and then my brother older so I watched him go down many paths of substances where I was like oh you fucking suck and I didn't want to be that so there's a lot of things that <laughs> prevented me from going down the road um I mean you were
1: socially more cool too so you probably had a lot more opportunities whereas for me I was like
0: I mean I was cool I would parties, not say cool <laughs> my brother was the popular one um but I was I had I was happy with my group of friends i'll put it that way (laughs) it was small but i was Uh, happy with it um but yeah having that community and and just to like play on that same topic and i'm just going to read this verbatim because i skipped over it when i tried to mention it earlier because i typed it funny um but you know people believe it to be common knowledge that if you like grow up in a shitty area or have a shitty childhood that you're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol and develop more problems because of this but the other common belief that i talked about earlier uh, is that if you get out of your circumstances and quote unquote, rise above all of it, that you don't need to worry about those issues. Um, and what was discovered is that if someone can abstain from other risk behaviors, such as drugs and alcohol, then they're 50% less likely to develop the chronic health problems and other stuff associated with a higher ACE score. But from like a glass half full or half empty or whatever you want, (laughs) however you want to call it, um, that still means they're 50% more likely to take on all that extra risk, uh, of their in their lives like regardless of their physical abstination um so yeah yeah you can't you, even if you have that community it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna like avoid all of the all of the trauma um related things later in life it's still something you have to address or deal with but yeah
1: yeah or even, like, you know, we could do we could be such good stewards of our bodies and, like, what we put into it even and, like, do all we can to, like, work for our neurobiology. Yeah. And if we still have an overactive um, nervous system and if we still have overactive cortisol, that's going to actually still wreak havoc on our bodies physically. Yeah. And so – and I even, like, you know, I see this in the work that I do with people – um, who might be overly like they focus on the health of the foods and everything that comes into their bodies, but they're still stressed out. And like, again, they have a great job. They have this. So on the outside, it looks like everything's great. Yeah. But because they haven't worked on the internal part, they're still suffering from different like mental health issues and physical issues, too. And autoimmune issues mm-hmm. um, can flare up in people as well. And I've, I've seen that, too. And it's about their, their cortisol regulation yeah, and their inability to like, their body just doesn't naturally do it. Um, And so anyway, yeah. So I think that's super important to touch on and I'm glad you did.
0: Yeah. It's it's crazy to me that on a medical level, this isn't talked about much. Um, I mean, it's, it's nuts. Like, so I've, I've seen, God, I don't know how many doctors about my sarcoidosis and none of them have even like hinted at asking like, do you have any past trauma? (laughs) Like, uh, there's no one that's, that's even asked me about the root cause in that field. Um, it's just, you know, assumed that I know from a medical standpoint, they can't be like, well, it's probably because of this for liability reasons, but they asking about it. I, I feel like, I don't know. I think there's, there's a lot of information that needs to be shared, not just in the psychological field but in the medical field of how these things are all related because there's literal proof that they are and it's not it's not discussed it's not talked about and there's uh so much information out there I don't know yeah it's frustrating But
1: not to get too higher level but Bessel van der Kolk talks about this because he's experienced it firsthand but I've also known and, and read a lot about where it's there's systemic issues with this because if we talk about trauma and we heal trauma, people don't have to get on medications for all of their life. They actually heal. Um, and it, most of the interventions are very low cost or, you know, covered by insurance or, you know, it's just with therapy and that sort of thing. Um, or, you know, once you actually heal it and teach people how to manage it for themselves and they process trauma again, like they go off of medications and unfortunately, even for med schools, like, you know, the research and what they're taught is very much influenced by big pharma yeah. and some other people that have lots of money. Yeah. Well, look at the, the DSM, right? The everyone, yeah. everyone
0: on the board of the DSM is involved with big pharma. And uh, so where would you be like, the only thing that they put in there for diagnosis is stuff you can medicate. And <laughs> there's, there's it's not just a coincidence.
1: <laughs> it's, it's not. And, doc, and Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, actually, he fought for a new diagnosis because a lot of kids were being misdiagnosed with um, ODD or, uh, what is it, oppositional defiance disorder and ADHD slash ADD yeah. um, when really it was trauma. Yeah. And he actually went and had a developmental trauma diagnosis. And guess what? the DSM five after like any, any culminated that he asked, what research do you need? What do you need me to culminate? He did all of that. They still rejected it. Oh yeah. And so it just shows you, like you said, like it wasn't because this was something they couldn't just medicate um, because this would have, you know, again, it would have challenged the way we see things medically right now. Um, People are just not taught. And, and so I think doctors have really good intentions. They just don't know. They just
0: don't know. Well, and I mean, I imagine in that field I, in your field as well, the liabilities involved with like misspeaking about anything can can be horrendous, career ruining. So, yeah, it's got to be a scary place to come from. So I, I can I can see why you would want to just like I am want to stick yeah. to the book as much as possible so I don't veer off and like have a lawsuit for some random crap um
1: yeah
0: but it's yeah, yeah it's just it's just sad <laughs> it's, it is i mean yeah don't get me started on dsm man behavioral addictions <laughs> like uh, uh how you can recognize gambling as a behavioral addiction and not uh the plethora of other things out there that people are getting addicted to blows my mind absolutely um yeah. I'll go down. That's, that's a rabbit hole. I'll go down for a while.
1: No. And I, yeah, no, it's the DSM is deeply flawed in my opinion. Yeah. It's not relational in nature, so it doesn't see anything in context. It doesn't take trauma into account and it's mainly used as a resource. Like, like you said, to medicate, Yeah, it's not used for the benefit of, well, I shouldn't say that. I think the intention <laughs> was good. I yeah. really do. You know, I don't want to totally blast it, but think the intention started out really good and then over time but, yeah what it's it, turned
0: into yeah 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 the yes. yeah. one was probably really well intended and mm-hmm. as it's progressed uh yeah yeah so, like i said that's that's a rabbit hole i'll go down for a while but i i've, yes. I've interviewed so many people that are on medicare were on are currently on medications that their pcp gave them for depression or anxiety and I was like that's not your field bro <laughs> like that's... it's not yeah also, <laughs> it drives me nuts
1: PSA don't get your psychotropic meds from your PCP you need to go and your family physician you need to go to a specialist because they don't know shit about those meds yeah like they really don't like I mean I shouldn't say that some probably do extra training but they don't specifically <laughs> generally get speaking in school. yeah so like I like it's weird I'm like I could help you with that more than like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like me giving you meds, which is yeah. totally not okay. Um, like you need somebody who's trained in that yeah. and understands psychotropic meds. I figured you were on the same um, page
0: as me. <laughs>
1: just... Oh, yes. so I just, I just wanted to touch on like, not, yeah. I think like my hope, if we get this big picture, like if you're in a school or if you're a doctor, like I think taking some of the wisdom from dr nadine burke harris and um and from california like if we could just implement screening and have have the doctors do that i know it's not a perfect method because some of the things so we screen screen everybody here at soma with the ace um scores no matter if they you know no matter who they are we just we screen everyone that's awesome um and i think that's yeah if you're a therapist put that in your intake paperwork yeah um simple things like that where we can screen for it it's interesting because sometimes when the parents do it like you said before like it's i don't think it's always true and i've even seen how like somebody will come into my office and they have a zero a score and then we go through stuff and it's like really interesting that parent was super in denial um but that being said or the kiddo could be too but i think it's still like because sometimes they are honest and sometimes they do you know keep that 100 percent real which makes Makes me curious, like, if the data might be a little skewed in a way, because sometimes these things are really hard to acknowledge, or like we talked about earlier, our brain doesn't acknowledge it. Um, The other thing is just having more trauma informed trainings in schools as far as like how we can respond to behaviors. So instead of suspending people or putting them in isolation when they're really struggling with their nervous system, actually having like people or a means to like sit with them and help them self-regulate and learn how to self-soothe. Yeah. Um, you know, different things like that and and implementing mindfulness trainings. Another thing too is we found it's it's helpful when kiddos can basically name their emotions. So Dan Siegel talks about naming it to tame it. And so one thing that like as a parent or as a school teacher that helps kiddos self-regulate and yeah. learn how to have self-awareness and pause with their emotions is to say things like, it seems like you're really angry right now. Like, is that how you're, are you angry? Like really it's, it sounds silly, but naming the emotion yeah, versus immediately going into like you're grounded or you're this, like being like, wow, you seem really upset right now. Like I see you and yeah. I'm, I'm seeing you and I see that you're upset. Um, there's something really powerful about that. And so I think I just wanted to leave off like on a couple of nuggets, because again, this this issue can feel overwhelming, like we don't have anything that we can do or any ways that we can help it. But I think even those simple things, you know, outside of going to therapy and doing your work yeah. um, recognition can be really
0: helpful. Yeah. Recognition super powerful. Agreed. Thank you. Agreed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I really appreciate you sitting down with me and And talking about one of my favorite subjects (laughs) and I'm always excited to learn more about it so I appreciate it and the time you have and
1: well thank you for yeah thank you for letting me nerd out with you about this too because I love yes (laughs) I love talking about it as well so awesome yeah thank you Mm
0: all right you just heard my conversation with jenny helms about adverse childhood experiences or the aces i know we got a little derailed there in the middle uh but there's so many topics to discuss and and i look forward to some of the stuff we're covering in the future and if you guys want to follow her she is at jenny ann helms across social media platforms so check that out and if you have any questions for jenny uh, feel free to submit them you can either email me directly Justin's friend request at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media at friend request pod and we will get them answered for you. Coming up, uh, following episodes in the future, we're going to have ask a therapist sessions where Jenny's going to answer some of your questions. I know we already have a flooding of them coming in, so uh, super excited about that. And thank you so much to Jenny for doing this and being a part of friend request. Uh, I think this is really going to help a lot of people.